Welcome to Conversations in the Coop. I'm your host, Drew Galbraith. For the next few weeks, we'll be practicing good social distancing and recording our conversations remotely, so the audio quality may go down a little, but we certainly don't believe the content will. For today's conversation, we talked to Rick Hazelton. Rick spent 28 years as the Director of Athletics at Trinity from 1982 to 2010, also had a career as an assistant football coach and track coach at Trinity, as well as a very storied career uh, throughout athletics and education. Today's conversation with Rick comes up right after this. Welcome back to Conversations in the Coop. I'm pleased to welcome my guest today, Rick Hazelton. Now, Rick was a, uh, a longtime athletic director at Trinity before that, uh, a football coach at Trinity as well. And we'll, we'll get into uh, the entirety of his life story in athletics uh, in just a few moments. But uh, Rick, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's great to be with you, Drew. So uh, these really are unprecedented times, Rick. And uh, I know during the course of your career, um, you had the opportunity to, uh, for, for better or worse, uh, deal with a lot of different situations um, that you know, weren't, weren't predictable. So uh, what we're dealing with now with sports shut down in our country is something that uh, most people have never experienced. Uh, can you think of anything in your career that, that, that comes close to what, uh, what we seem to be going through right now? Well, obviously 9-11 was, was a big thing in, in the fall of, uh, of 01. Um, it's, um, it, it was a that was a tough day. It was a tough day for mm-hmm. a lot of people. That obviously, having nothing to do with sports, but uh, uh, the thing I think that brought the school together was a was a um, was a uh, we had an interim president at the time, Ron Thomas. who was a great guy, and he had a uh, he wanted to talk to the students mm-hmm. on the quad. And it was a as you remember, it was a beautiful day. Uh, uh, the sun was out, and and mm-hmm. uh, and so. That I remember more than anything. I think it started maybe in the early at two o'clock or so, and probably one o'clock. I went up and sat on a bench right outside the, the chapel and just sat there and looked at Eastern Connecticut hills and and uh-huh. uh, just thought for a long time about what where this world is going. Um, and uh, obviously, Ron brought things into perspective for for a lot of people, and uh, it was a good talk. Uh, I can't remember what we did. It was a Tuesday. I'm sure we had practices, whether they, they occurred or not. Uh, I'm not sure, but um, uh, it was it was a tough time. Um, in, in doing my research for this episode, um, uh, there was uh, I know that there was a, a, a men's soccer game against Coast Guard, if not that day in the next few, either, the, maybe the day after, yeah. if not that afternoon. And um just just thinking back for all of us, it was, that was kind of a moment in time. You know, everybody remembers where they were, yeah. uh, where they were when uh, they first heard the news. Maybe, um, you know, they were in front of a television when the towers went down. You kind of remember those moments. Um, but that was a point where there seemed to be kind of a, a finite resolve, um, you know, both in our country, around the world. And and uh, we all remember the, you know, the uh sports getting back to the, you know, college sports and the NFL coming back and then ultimately the, uh, you know, baseball playoffs resuming. Um, do, do you ever, uh, no. can you ever think of a situation where um, 
really everything was shut down. And I think that's the, the, the interesting thing in this scenario is that um, literally every organized sport in the Western world is shut down. There seem to be a few very, very random uh, leagues and events taking place in, in uh, corners of the earth. But um, really at no point in our lifetimes has everything been shut down like this. No, I, I think the, you know, that was a, uh, I think the Yankees had a game, uh, right after that, obviously it was mm-hmm. a big game. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Bush, President Bush, uh, right. threw out the pitch, and a lot of uh, a lot of emotion, especially with the fire the firemen still uh, struggling uh, in, yeah. in that situation. Um, a lot of great stories, a lot of heroic stories. Um, uh, I heard about it. Uh, I was in I was in the office and heard about it. I, one of the one of the uh, women in the in the outer office said a plane ran into the um, one of the buildings down there. And I remember, and my wife's father worked in New York City in uh, in the mid '40s uh, during the war. He was doing some stuff with. Uh, that he can't talk about, but uh, uh-huh. anyway, there was a plane that flew into uh, the Empire State Building uh, oh. in the mid '40s, and uh, it was uh-huh. a small. It wasn't a huge plane; it was a small plane, and didn't do a lot of damage to the building. But obviously, uh, uh, lives were lost and some damage on the street. But so I went out and told him that story. Uh, and I said that maybe it was a private plane, and then you find out within. 10 minutes at what the, what the whole thing was about. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I remember being in a, I was in a meeting that I was uh, in law school and working in the athletic department at William and Mary at the time. And and remember hearing from my, uh, the gentleman I worked for, his secretary had come in and um, she, she she lived quite a, a, uh, an elaborate life outside of the office Mm -hmm. and would constantly come in and tell these stories. And the stories always seemed to have three or four, facts just important facts missing so when she came in and said that the a plane at the world trade trade center i think we felt the same way yeah. that maybe you did in that moment that maybe there's just something missing yeah. from the story until yeah. you know a half hour later we come out of the meeting and it's very different yeah, yeah. so you, with what seems to be going on with uh, with covid19 and um obviously you know big expanses of our country are completely shut down now and people are working remotely our students are taking classes remotely now um barring some different direction um at some point things will open back up and if it's safe to do that uh, hopefully it's safe to do that uh you know by the summer or definitely by the fall in our case um so what role do you think sport ends up playing when things kind of grind to a halt for our seniors they they lost out on on a season and not only that but you know their last semester of college really on campus um and then for other students it's um you know what role does sport play, do you, do you imagine, um, as our campus recovers, as our community recovers, and ultimately our country and the world? I think sport, uh, I mean, obviously people are missing sports quite a bit. Um, uh, and they're going to miss the Olympics this summer. And, and um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it's a way of, of getting out of the house. It's a way of watching people compete. It's a way of doing something. It, it, it's part of our ingrained society sports. Uh, whether it be the professional level, the college level, high school, or or lower than that, um, it, it it just seems like um, it, it seems like it would play play a, a very big role. 
uh, not the role, obviously, but play a very, I mean, people are going to have church. They're going to have all different kinds of things to, to rely on even through this, but they don't have sports unless they're watching, you know, the 1972 Super Bowl or something <laughs> like that. Right. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I, I think it'll be, a, I think it'll be quite important. Um, yeah. It's it, it certainly, it's, it's a, uh, certainly seems to be, you know, it's almost like we're, we're missing something in our lives. We're missing a lot of things in yeah. our lives right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, certainly there's a lot of people around the country who right at this moment um, can't be with loved yeah. ones um, just out of, of precaution yeah. um, or travel restrictions, et cetera. And we certainly have a, a large number of international students at Trinity who aren't able to um, necessarily go home. Fortunately, a lot of our international students have been able to go to be with family um, within the United States. But um, I, I do imagine you're right that this will sport will be one of the things that brings people uh, back together and uh, can be a cause for common celebration. We, we talk a lot in, on campus just about sport being one of the few things on a college campus these days that where everybody feels the same way about Trinity or fill in the blank with any other yeah. school um, yeah. for a couple of hours. Yeah. Right. When we're playing a football game, a basketball game, a, a field hockey game, everybody's going to feel the same way for a period of time and not be worried about, um, you know, politics or any other, any of the other things that divide us. Um, so hopefully uh, that can be the case. And um, it was amazing as we are going through this process um, and actually going through the cancellation. And then you, uh, the NESCAC announced its cancellation um, late on a Tuesday, very early on a Wednesday morning. And then on Thursday uh, was when the NCAA canceled the remainder of the, uh, winter and spring championships and ultimately all college sports got shut down. Amazing that, that the NCAA basketball tournament was played through all of these different um, things, uh, you know, world wars, yeah. uh, Korea, yeah. Vietnam. Uh, ultimately, I believe President Reagan was shot on the day of a national championship game um, back in 1981. Mm -hmm. So uh, amazing when things finally to get shut down and, and what it takes. And, and hopefully this is the right medicine for our country. Yeah, this is, so, this I, I think is, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's a little, probably as you've no, realized, it's a little different with the health issues involved mm -hmm. of being close right. to people. But uh, in, in those situations, such as 9-11, when the Yankees were playing, it was a way of bringing the people of New York together and it was perfect for them. So. Yeah, well, we, we hope that uh, Trinity Sports and, and sports around the country have that same uh, same impact, hopefully uh, hopefully by next yep. fall. You know, as of right now, we are uh, our students are not coming back this spring. That's been announced. And, um, you know, so our, our, our strength coaches are working hard to give students body weight yep. exercises that, that anybody can do no matter what their uh, home situation is. And um, we'll but, you know, I, the thing I keep reminding our coaches is that everyone across the country is in the exact same situation. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's, there's no one who's getting nope, an advantage nope, right now. Nope. We're all, we're all in the same basket. Yes. Well, Rick, let's go back to the beginning of the, of your career. Um, and so as you, uh, as you came out of college, graduating from uh, Marietta out in Ohio uh, in the, in the mid to late sixties, um, did you, did you envision coaching and sports always being a part of your life? Was it, uh, was it the, the vision of being a teacher coach? What, what did you think when you were leaving college uh, that the world would have in store for you? 
When I went to college, uh, I, I, I majored in business and economics because my brothers majored in business and economics at Ohio State when they, when they went there. And I'd say probably the second or third year, I mean, I played sports, track and football in college, and uh, I just loved coaching. Uh, I mean, I loved my coaches and, and wanted to get into coaching and knew I had to teach. And so I changed, uh, I started adding some history stuff to my, uh, to my curriculum and, and uh, spent more time going in that direction. And uh, a friend uh, got me uh, a job down in uh, southern Ohio, down in Appalachia, uh, down on the Ohio River where the river flows north and then down south right on the point of it. Um, and it was a tough, it was a tough, um, <clears throat> tough situation with, with the, uh, the way people were living down there. They really didn't have a lot. And you had to do a lot more than just teach history and, and uh, civics and economics which were required courses, you had to do a lot of counseling and talking to kids and doing things like that. And so that, that made me even love coaching more. And, and uh, the, <clears throat> the, the um, people from where I grew up in the south of Columbus uh, wanted me to come back up and teach and coach there, which I did. It was a, a high-powered football program. We had kids uh, going to Ohio State and all Americans and people going into the NFL. So it was a, it was a good situation for me to, to go up there for six years and, and uh, coach and teach there. So I had seven years of coaching in the Ohio uh, teaching system. So college coaching started at Amherst in 1973. What drew you from Ohio and how did you get out of Amherst College? Um, yeah, my wife Ann is uh, grew up in Ohio. Her father worked for for Amherst. I'm um, excuse me, grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts. Uh, her father worked for Amherst. <clears throat> um, there was a new a new master's program coming out called uh, uh, Sports Administration, and it actually started in Ohio University, <clears throat> but uh, UMass had it uh, and uh, a couple other schools. So. Uh, my father worked with some people at, at UMass, and I got into the program and went out, to, and I drove out in a truck, or she drove out in the car, and I drove out in a truck with all our furniture. Our kids were already out there, <clears throat> and um, it was a situation where I could go in and coach uh, part-time uh, with uh, Jim Austin Darp, who was the head coach there for a year, a very successful coach at Amherst College. And uh, it was it was a good situation for me. Um, I had to do a lot of other different things, such as hang sheetrock and insulation and tear a barn down and uh, mark all the boards because it was going to be moved to Farmington, Connecticut, and re-erected. And so, but other than that, I uh, I kept quite busy and, and kept the family afloat. And got and, and, and got the. I oh, got go just a, I got about I got four courses out of the way for my masters and uh, um, then I thought I should start looking for a full time job. And so that that brought you to Trinity um, a, a year later and um, so just talk about <clears throat> what Trinity was in in 1974. Um, I'm sure it's gone through uh, a considerable amount of change in the last 46 years, but. Um, 
at that point, uh, women were attending Trinity, but were still um, probably a bit of a novelty uh, on campus. And, and, and there were people who remember what it was when it was all male. So w- when you come and, and you're teaching phys ed, you're the head track coach, you're an assistant football coach in 1974, what does that Trinity look like? Uh, it um, obviously was going through uh, still some strains of, uh, of uh, co-education. Uh, I, I think it was handled very well. I think it was ha- quite handled quite well by Carl Kurth, my predecessor at Trinity, the athletic director one who hired me. Um, they had added <clears throat> um, uh, probably six or seven sports, eight sports at the time. But I got there, women's sports. Uh, the problem was that they didn't provide a lot of money for Carl to uh, to fund the program. So uniforms were passed down from football to field hockey, and and uh, uh, fields were uh, not not in the the best shape in the world in the fall. But uh, things went well. Uh, it was it was a, it was a well-run department. It was a well-run uh, movement of, of the, when the women came into the department, uh, Carl was able to hire some young women out of a couple women out of Springfield and uh, uh, hired Robin Shepard, who uh, stayed with the, the pro. She came when, in 74 when I, when I uh, came to Trinity. Uh, and so people like those women just jumped right in and did two or three sports without even thinking. They they were they were in love with trying to get this thing going. So it was it was a it was a good situation for for that. I think uh, football was doing well. football was doing well. Don Don Miller was a at that time was a well known coach, and um, uh, the track program was struggling, and uh, uh, we we kept moving forward the best we could with uh, with the athletes that we had. And so, it, so is uh, you know football churned through the late seventies, lots of titles uh, in your your time as a coach with the program, and then uh, in the early eighties, and 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 I be, you're going to have to correct me on the timeline a little bit, but um, Carl Kurth uh, retires, um, and then I know that there's there's kind of a gap in time, and then you take over. So so talk a little bit about um, how that process and. And what made you say, yeah, I, th- I think I could take this on and, and this will this will scratch the issue. Uh, Car- Carl, uh, in in the uh, December of 81, took a terminal sabbatical. He was going to retire in the summer of 82. So they gave him a terminal sabbatical mm-hmm. where uh, obviously he wasn't there. Uh, so Chet McPhee and myself um, uh, agree, agreed to run the program. <clears throat> Chet was a good friend of mine. Um, he wasn't uh, uh, really interested in doing any of the day-to-day stuff, but he certainly wanted to be involved in any help with any decisions, discuss any decisions and things like that. So uh, essentially I went down into Carl's office in January of 82 and spent time down there um, uh, doing the, the day-to-day chores. I also, uh, part of my master's program was to do a, an internship in the athletic department back in 75, 76, where I spent a lot of a summer looking into the finances of the department uh, in order to save them money and came up with a few things that uh, 
uh, saved them some some dollars. Uh, so <clears throat> that carried forward into a search uh, for the position. They had about 160, 65 people apply for the job and um, brought in uh, myself and about eight other people. The eight others were, had a lot of experience, some of them as the athletic directors, some of them as associates and assistants. Um, it went through the committee. Uh, I presented myself, uh, had support from uh, a lot of the staff uh, in, in a short period of time and uh, was able to get the job in March of 82. They offered it to me. So from so from from there, what what would you say the the first few years in the AD role? Obviously, there's a lot of familiarity with the the faces in the department because you've been <clears> part of the department for for eight years at that point. But what what would you say the biggest challenges were both it, both in the role, but but maybe impacting athletics uh, as a whole at that point? Um, my relationship with the staff was fine. That was not a problem. Um, I think the concerns. Uh, that I had to face for uh, budget, uh, facilities, and staffing. Uh, <clears throat> and so the first thing I did concerning facilities, I knew, obviously, being there eight years, I knew what, what the facilities are like and what we need. And I was able to I visit a lot of NESCAC schools by when the football team played there and could see what other other uh, schools had. <clears throat> and it was, um, it was really a time where we had to do a lot of, we had to do something in order to be, to, to be competitive uh, for students, not only athletes, but for students uh, for recreation time and facilities for um, uh, physical fitness and so forth. Um, <clears throat> the first thing I did was I looked at all, there's three, uh, cornerstones. Uh, the Trowbridge, Trowbridge building, uh, was built in 1927. 20 years later, the field house was built. And 20 years later, the Ferris stuff, uh, three buildings were built. Um, so we're on a 20 year cycle. So I'm, I'm trying to shoot for now it's 82, maybe in the mid eighties, we can start getting um, some, some buildings built, some facilities uh, remodeled, uh, uh, fixed up uh, uh, to add to what we needed. So the first thing I did was to, um, after, after that was to set up a, a 15 inch wide sheet of paper and at the top i put across all the nescac all 11 nescac schools including trinity plus i added wellesley mount holyoke and smith so there were 14 schools across the top and then down the side there was facilities how many how many uh, lanes in your swimming pool what type of track you have what type of what size is your field house how many tennis courts do you have? What type, what shape, what, the, what is the surface for the tennis courts? All the things you would think you would need, uh, what kind of boathouse you have, everything like that. And with that, I got all this information and sent it to the athletic directors uh, at the 
other uh, 13 schools and they sent uh, information back and I was able to show that Trinity was, was uh, quite behind in, in almost everything. Um, so I talked with the treasurer at the time. I wanted to go in and talk to the trustees, but was not allowed to. So he went in and um, uh, showed them the, uh, the, the large survey that, that I did. And uh, so some of them said, we, but we got to start getting some things done. So the first couple of things I did, the two serious small jobs, the field house floor was nothing but dirt. And it was unhealthy, um, <laughs> dusty, um, unsafe. Uh, so I had to get that covered uh, with a synthetic surface. The tennis courts were all clay. Eight, the eight of the tennis courts were all clay, the main courts. And uh, I watched for eight years these guys go out and, and do the tennis courts at the beginning of the season in the spring and get them all set, and then we'd have a torrential rain and all the stuff would wash off on in the broad street. <laughs> sure. So I knew that we had to uh, to get the tennis courts uh, a, a, a hard surface, which is difficult. You have to be careful of this because it, it, a big, it's like a big parking lot, only you have to do, it has to be a lot of TLC for it so that you don't get any dips and mm -hmm. water uh, ponds or anything like that. So you have to get it as level and as stable as you can. And that was a concern I had because right now you could, you could play on the courts at least a, a certain amount of time after the rain. So we were able to get that done and it worked out and it's, it's still obviously uh, 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 the hard surface. Uh, the faculty were a little upset because their legs mm -hmm. were getting beat up with playing, but I, I just uh, reminded them who, who the courts are really for. So, but they, they, they were fine. Um, so those were the first two projects. And then we went from there to to doing a lot of remodeling to the Ferris, uh, uh, taking the, the, the rowing tank, the four-seater rowing, rowing tank out and putting a 16-seater in, plus uh, making uh, room for uh, ergs. Um, we had to fill in the two areas where the training room is now. That it was wide open. It was there was no no brick to it. it. It stood there as a wide open thing. As the as the hallway that went down was wide open, uh, and down at the other end, the weight room at the other end was wide open. So I, we needed to fill those in and get an athletic training facility where the women were were uh, treated better than they were in the facility that we uh, had for them at the time for uh, when, the, when it became co-ed. And then at the other end gave us a room to do a lot of different things in, which we, which we have right now. It's, it's a weight room for you, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did a lot of other things. And then we had to build a new pool. We had a, right. we had a, a pool that was four lanes, 10 feet of water. It was built in 1927. I talked to Ray Oosting, who was the AD at the time. He was still alive. And I talked to him when I was thinking about doing this. And he says, you know, Rick, when I left in June, that was supposed to be a six-lane pool. And when I came back in the fall, it was a five-lane pool. Well, what are you going to do with a five-lane pool? But 
uh, and then they changed the, 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 the width of the lanes and it became a four lane pool. So it was very, it was, we needed to get a new pool. Um, we needed more squash courts in order to move ahead with that. So where the pool is now was a large courtyard. There was a, mm-hmm. a nice pine tree sitting in the middle there that we had to move because it was a rare pine tree told to me by a friend in the biology department. And so we moved it. Uh, and it's been moved, was moved another time after that. I don't think it's alive now, but um, we, <clears throat> we built the tent, we built the squash courts first, which is about what, 50 feet up in the air, right. that building. Right. And then we did some stuff down below. Uh, we built it, the room where the women's equipment uh, used to be taken care of, that two story structure. The first floor is uh, women's swimming locker room and then we took part of the wrestling room and made it into a men's uh swimming locker room so and then we built the pool the next year uh and uh, you again you had all these you had to continuously fight with people to try to get in other words the the the, the colleagues didn't want to pay to tile the walls around there and so I talked to the president about that. And I said, let's go over and look at University of Hartford. Just built a nice pool. And uh, so we did. And, and he said, let's let's uh, put that eight foot high uh, tile around the, the pool. And that makes it we picked, obviously, Trinity colors and it makes it look great. But it, it, um, it's a very workable pool with it's, the, it's 25. It's a 37 meter, what they call a 37 meter stretch pool which means uh, you have a movable bulkhead and you can move the bulkhead around back, back and forth for, for uh, water polo and, and uh, or move right. it back for a swim meet. Uh, and then we did other things. Um, uh, uh, we took the old swimming pool, which I just talked about, and made it into a fitness room, which I, I needed. We had two pools for about a year and a half. I was trying to figure out what to do with it, and and uh, I was talking to some people, and we thought a, a, a weight room would be a, a great fitness room would be a great uh, use for that. So, the pool itself, and where the, where all the weights are sitting, there's a uh, swimming pool sitting underneath. It's structured with steel with a about a six inch uh, piece of con- uh, con- poured concrete on it, <clears throat> and uh, they we filled in some of the bleacher seats for. Uh, cardiovascular equipment up there and stretching uh-huh, areas uh-huh. and so that's we put new window the windows were beautiful so we had somebody reproduce them in a uh, modern way and uh, um, so they work a lot better and not open in the winter time so so if, you know the 80s and and probably stretching into the the early 90s or you know obviously of uh building, et, et cetera. But you also had the opportunity in the 90s, uh, your three sons all attended Trinity and um, all of them played lacrosse. I believe Tad played football as well. And so what was that experience like for you as a uh, as both a parent, but also a senior figure on campus and certainly in the department? Well, I, I, uh, I immediately appointed myself as the assistant lacrosse coach. That was the first decision. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was fun being with them. I they play. They were offensive players, and I coached the de- helped coach the defense. So I didn't really coach them, but it was fun watching them all at, at all the home and away games. But obviously, the first 
job that I had was as an athletic director, and I did not let that uh, affect any 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 uh, coaching or anything else I was doing with the team. Um, it was great. It was 11 years, uh, 10 years of uh, coaching lacrosse um, uh, with the three guys, and uh, uh, I loved it. I think lacrosse is such a great game anyway. I wish it was there when, when I was growing up, but... Uh, and and then as you know, lots of things happened uh, in the '90s from a you know in the world of college sports and sports in general. We uh, in the NESCAC finally uh, teams were allowed to go to the NCAA championships. Um, how did that process work? I mean, I think it probably uh, a lot of people, most certainly any of our students, don't realize there was a time when uh, NESCAC teams weren't allowed to go to NCAA championships. Um, how long was that in the works from the NESCAC ADs and um, how difficult was it to get that across the finish line? When, when, um, when NESCAC first started in the early seventies, all the way up, probably for 20 years, there was not a, um, a commissioner like there is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on a rotating basis. Uh, it was a three year cycle where, you would be on a, you know, a, like an administrative committee of, of, for two years, and then you would be the chief uh, person uh, head of this. So it was your responsibility to, to come up with what you, what needed to be talked, uh, what what the agenda was for the NESCAC direct, athletic directors meetings. Mm-hmm. It would be held at your institution. You were responsible to provide three days, four days worth of whatever in order to run the meetings um so from from day one as far as i know we always talked about getting into the ncaa's uh we had some great teams uh teams that were competitive with uh very competitive with teams non-nescac teams that went to the ncaa's uh and did and they did very well i think it was weird. I think that what happened was, as I remember, Colby College was supposed to have was was to have the uh, NCAA cross country race at Colby. Uh-huh. Their men qualified for the for the race, but they couldn't go. You can only go as individuals. As individuals. You cannot go as a team. So could they? Could they have? five individuals go to like what was was there a maximum number of individuals i think it was seven you needed was it was it you were allowed to take seven i'm not sure whether all seven right the first five counted but but not all of them qualified they didn't qualify uh i mean they would have qualified as a team but not as individuals gotcha um so here we are sitting here uh with guys that could walk 500 yards from their dorm, not miss any classes, mm-hmm. and p- compete in the NCAA um, cross country, and they couldn't do it. So I think after that, the presidents uh, uh, said, let's look at this, and, and we've heard enough from the uh, athletic directors. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've, we've got enough information how, how well our teams will do in no matter what it is, lacrosse or except for football. And I understand football. Football is, 
is played all the way to like the second week in December. Uh, and that's, that's a little bit, a little bit too much. Uh, but to allow the other teams to go, I, I think was, a, was an outstanding move. As you can see in many sports, uh, we dominate, uh, whether it's, whether it's in the finals, both teams are NESCAC or whether it's a NESCAC team that wins it three years in a row, whatever sport it might, might be. It was, uh, certainly a move that has helped, uh, our athletic programs uh, uh, get better athletes. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and it, and it, and it continues to be. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that all of the football coaches in the league would love to see where the best in the NESCAC stand against other division three schools, but uh, that doesn't seem to be in the cards, uh, at least in the current, no. uh, in the current climate. No. Um, so, one of the things that happened uh, kind of as, as NESCAC schools started to have the opportunity uh, to play in championships um, around the same time, it wasn't an NCAA championship, but uh, Trinity squash, uh, you know, had a lot of success. Um, I would say in the final 12 to 13 years of your career with both the men's and women's team winning national championships, uh, baseball had some great runs um, and a lot of college world series. Then ultimately the, uh, 45 and one national championship team in 2008. Um, so are there, are there, um, are there big sports moments that stand out for you in the career or, you know, in a sense, do all of those highlights just end up being highlights? Well, I, I certainly don't want to take um, anything away from the athletic teams of my first um, in the eighties and the nineties. Uh, but Certainly that, that period of time, the first 10 years of the 21st century uh, was an exceptional time for Trinity Athletics. Um, women's squash won probably two or three, three or four different national championships. The men won 10 uh, mm-hmm. and continue to win. Um, baseball, uh, did something that I don't know any, any other baseball team could ever do and to be undefeated going into the final two games uh-huh. and losing the first and winning the second for the national championship. Uh, football won 31 games in a row uh-huh. uh, or so uh, and probably 56 home games in a row. Right, uh, right. Um Men's rowing, we had an excellent coach in Larry Gluckman, a uh, well-known Ivy League coach that uh, was able to hire. And he, uh, about the second or third year there, his team was ranked 12th in the nation in all three divisions. So they're ahead of several of the Ivies mm-hmm. uh, ranked. A very good team. They had a the couple of good rowers uh, there. Um, Women's rowing was was uh, won the national championship once or twice. They have a weird way of determining the national champion, and was in most of the um, NESCAC, um, excuse me, NCAA championships in that period of uh, that ten year period. Um, women's cross country came in second uh, to Middlebury 
in the uh, NCAA championship at Hanover College out in Indiana. Uh, and Russ Riley and myself, Russ was, is the, was the AD at Middlebury, were there together. We couldn't figure out, if you ever watched a cross-country race, I don't know how anybody could figure out unless they were actually doing the counting, who, <laughs> who won the race. Right. And so I talked to George Souter, our cross-country coach afterward. I says, George, I, it looked like we did fairly well. And George says, George pointed to, uh, to Russ and said, Russ, your team won, and Rick, your team came in seconds. <laughs> it was hard, hard to believe, but it was, it was a great race. Um, we've had, you know, basketball did, did well in that period of time. It went to the NCAAs a few times. Uh, uh, they, uh, as they went in the, in the early 90s, they went to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, ice hockey won some NESCAC championships and participated in at that period of time. Field hockey and women's lacrosse. It could go down the line. It was a it was a, an exceptional ten years of uh, of sports, and um, uh, it, it was. I was happy because the culmination of of a lot of things, whether it was all the staffing problems you had to take care of or whether it was the buildings or whether it was the budgeting or all that stuff came together and made, made it uh, certainly a worthwhile 10 years for me. So I, yeah, I don't want you to have to get uh, too wistful, but what do you, what do you mean, you know, now having been 10 years out, what do you miss most about the job? What, what's, what's the thing that uh, some days you wake up and say, gosh, I really miss that. I'm, I'm sure it's not, not all the headaches. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a little weird. I mess a lot with the job. I still do mm-hmm. 10 years out. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the challenge of, of, of trying to, or, or, or solving problems, whether they be, uh, facilities, whether they be staffing, whether they be budgeting, whether they be the number of sports. Um, I, I don't miss the meetings with the dean when they cut two hundred thousand dollars out of your budget, and then mm-hmm. you go up about six months later and another four hundred thousand, and till finally over about a year and a half, you're you're missing one point three million. I don't miss right. that and trying to, <laughs> and then one of the deans telling me to to cut ten sports. Um, I don't I don't uh, you know it's competitive you like to fight that stuff but sure and you like to win that stuff but um you'd like to have a little bit more respect for a program and and things like that so i i, I miss i miss a lot of it um but uh a weekend there i might say i gotta get out of this place too who knows well and pretty I, relaxing I... Uh, just to uh <laughs> do whatever you want to do yeah, you know, there uh, probably are fewer uh, um, fewer outsiders, parents, uh, you know, commentators otherwise who are uh, commenting on your daily uh, your yeah. daily performance as opposed to uh, our coaches and staff. Uh, and that's certainly something that I've seen change dramatically, um, having been in the business before the Internet, then it was the Internet. And then um, you know, we created a lot of platforms in the last 15 years that allow people to um, 
comment without any fear of uh, either retribution or accountability for their words and actions. And so that, that can, uh, you know, I can make, uh, make, give people headaches. That's for sure. So we we certainly. I I think the parent thing started in, in probably the mid Mm nineties and um, grew from there. And and yeah, you have, you have battles with him, but you also have uh, quite a more, more, uh, better stories when with parents than uh than the bad ones it's just the bad ones are just bad that's all <laughs> yeah and it's it's um uh, it's it's i feel like as as students have changed a little bit and whereas um you know i'm around the same age as your sons and so whereas we might have been um embarrassed if our parents ever reached out for any reason yeah. um it that's that's changed and certainly the students that a lot of the students we see today um, just have a different relationship with their parents than, um, and I think I probably have a different relationship with, with my own kids than uh, I had with my parents. And, uh, maybe that's just time and, and how the world around us changes, but, um, it's, it's something that we see that is a very big part of what we do is, um, just making sure that we're communicating in ways that students do hear the message. And, uh, and we find the parents are a big part of that nowadays. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. It's 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 um uh, that's one I would not want to be involved in that and and uh, I, it was it was not good when we when I was there and uh, I'm sure I know it's with you talking to you it's not good still not good but you make the best of what you can do. Well, we we've been having some conversations in the department, uh, kind of going full circle as as we've talked about what things will look like as. Uh, as sports open back up um, Mm -hmm. and uh, obviously with every level of sport being uh, being closed down it's high school sports but it's also um, outside clubs and travel sports uh, at this moment in time uh, are shut down and so what will that do to the recruiting cycle for this year and next and um, I think there's potentially some reset that will take place Um, a lot of a lot of uh, club sports are are money-making venture and so will will this time off force some of those you never want to see people lose their livelihood but it may force a little bit of a reset in that world and potentially push some of that back towards scholastic sports uh, uh-huh. high school based and um, I know from a lot of our coaches the opportunity to work with high school coaches who may have uh, different relationships um, you know with with recruits might be um, and one that's not as a uh, you know, not as vested in somebody who's a paying customer um, that, that can really um, change the type of information that people get. And, and maybe those, those, those high school based uh, relationships can be more helpful in identifying people who'd be good fit for us as well as other schools. So uh, we'll see how, um, how things all change in the, in the coming weeks and months, but uh, Rick, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate chatting with you and uh We'll certainly uh, have to have you back again after all this stuff uh, shakes out. Oh, I'd love to come back and and, and uh, keep up all the great work you're doing. Um, I I enjoy our lunches together and, and listening to what you're doing. It keeps me uh, living uh, away from the scene, but uh, it, it keeps me uh, uh, a smile on my face that you're doing a great job and things are continuing so well. Well, Rick. Hey, 
a huge thank you to Rick Hazelton, longtime director of athletics at Trinity, for joining me for this conversation in the coop. Remember, for all the latest news on Trinity Athletics, head to bantamsports.com. We'll talk to you soon.